What's up, everybody? Derek here with The Break Podcast. Hope you're having a great summer. It's almost over, actually. Our kids start back to school next week. So that means hunting season is right around the corner, and I cannot wait to get back out there. It's been a long time since spring turkey season, so I am excited to get back out to hunting. Well, today I do not have a guest. It's just me in here talking, which I know you guys are super excited about. But I had a couple hours this afternoon of free time, so I decided to jump in here and do a podcast really quick. I get quite a few questions and comments about people wondering what's going on with the break, what I'm doing as it relates to hunting, and a lot of product questions. So people know who our partners are. If they watch the show, they certainly know who our partners are. If they go on the website, huntthebreak.com. They see who our partners are within the industry. So I get a lot of questions about those products. Um, So we're going to cover some of those questions today. Um, Specifically, I get a ton of questions about Browning trail cameras and which model, you know, people should run. Constantly asking me questions about, you know, the various trail cameras in general. So we're going to cover a lot of that today as well. Um you know, which cameras I use in certain situations. So anyways, we'll, we'll cover all that, but this podcast is brought to you by Browning trail cameras. If you haven't used a Browning trail camera, you need to, they are by far the most durable camera that I've ever used. I've been using Browning trail cameras since 2013. And I think I started with four of them. All four of them are still going strong. I just take care of them and Make sure that, you know, when I store them in the off-season, I'll take the batteries out, take the SD card out, wrap them up, store them away, and then when I bring them out the next season to put them out, perfectly fine. Still going strong. I think I run 20, what I have, 25 or 26 Browning trail cameras. Um, I get about four to six a year that... Uh, just adding to my stockpile, and every one are still going strong. So uh, definitely do yourself a favor. Pick up a Browning trail camera and give them a shot. You will not be disappointed. All right, let's get to the podcast. What do you think? Here we go. This is Derek Dernberger, and you're listening to The Break Podcast. What have I been up to? I have been super busy with a lot of things, especially my real job. I've mentioned it on here multiple times before that I work in the railroad industry, and it's a very unpredictable job. But right now, we're running crazy, and I just don't have enough time off to do hardly anything. Problem is, with that job, I was laid off. When the economy got slow, I was laid off for roughly two and a half years. That was about three years ago. For the, so for the last, a little more than that. So for the last six to eight months, I've been, I've gotten called back to my job and I've been super busy. The problem is during that layoff, I started ramping up all the break and doing a lot of things to keep me busy and try to replace some of that income that a lot of things I plan out months and months ahead, year ahead. 
So I'm trying to uh, <laughs> meet all the commitments that I planned a year ago and still try to work my real job. It's not working too well right now. In fact, my real job, I'm going to be in trouble this month. I've taken too much time off. Kind of how my schedule works is I'm on call 24-7, seven days a week, and I'm allotted X amount of days off. Seven, actually. I get five weekdays and two weekend days off per month, and I get to take them when I want them. Well, this month, I've gotten so many commitments that I'm going way over that. And every year, and I've got no vacation time because every year you have to earn it going into the next year. So this year, no vacation and a whole lot of commitments. It's not stacking up very well for me. So the best thing that could happen is if you all share this podcast, tune into the break, hit me up on Instagram, Facebook, everything, so I can quit this stupid railroad and do the break full time. That would be great. Thank you very much. But... Not really a reality right now, so I'm working it all. Um, which, in fact, last week I was working for Browning Trail Cameras. We went up to Deer Fest up in Wisconsin. Um, what a great time that is! So I go up there and just help them out uh, working in one of their dealers' booths at Deer Fest and sell cameras and just answer questions that people have about the various Browning Trail Cameras. So I was up there, and that's a good time as well. They bring a lot of TV shows in. Deerfest does. They bring a lot of other TV shows in. And those guys have booths, and they're selling their product. The Lindsay Way was up there. Those are great guys, David and Jeff, both of them. Um, who else is up there? There's a lot of a lot of TV shows up there. Now I'm drawing a total blank. Oh, Taylor Drury was up there. Um, Raised Hunting was up there some people from Realtree Outdoors was up there there's a heck of a lot more I'm just drawing a blank right now but anyways it's a super good time um, while we were up there it's Deerfest is again in Wisconsin and it's really close to the Wisconsin Dells so we went up there for a family vacation I guess this is that was my third or fourth Deerfest that I've worked for Browning Trail Cameras and yeah every year we go up three or four days early and just vacation uh, this year well so Wisconsin Dells there's a ton of water parks a lot of lakes so there's a ton of things you can do hit all the water parks I think I don't know maybe Wisconsin Dells I think they're known for the most water parks of you know of any area in the country so and there are a ton of them so the kids love it they have a great time uh, this year we actually camped. We bought a camper from uh, Chris Willis RV down in Dexter, Missouri. Um, before I get into the Dells, if you're looking for a camper, so we were looking for a camper. We bought a used one a couple of, about a year ago, almost two years ago, and it was just not exactly. We didn't know what we were looking for necessarily, and it just wasn't what we needed. So we ended up trading it in to Chris Willis. RV or we started looking for a new one and we looked around and you know various RVs RV uh, businesses stores and we decided to go down to Dexter which is a little bit of a drive for us 45 minutes to an hour drive um, from where we live down there 
to Dexter, but I'm certainly glad we did because we saved about 5000 bucks on any comparable RV that we looked at, uh, camper trailer. So went down there, we talked to them, ended up buying it, and then I convinced him, started telling him about the break and what, what I did, and you know, as many hunters that use camping trailers, he decided to become a partner of the break. So he's one of my newest sponsors, Chris Willis, RV in Dexter, Missouri. So if you're looking for a camper, holler at them. You'll save money for sure based on what we did. So yeah, it was a, it was a good deal worth the drive. So we pulled that camper up to Wisconsin Dells, got on a campground. I think it was, uh, it was right on the lake. I think it was Lake Delton. D-E-L-T-O-N, I think that's the name of the lake. Anyways, super campground. Um, we did some kayaking out out in the o- or not in the ocean, out in the lake. Uh, did some rent of the boat, pulled the kids around uh, on the whatever the inner tube, whatever you call it, the tubing. So it was fun. We had a great time. The kids had a great time, and then also went to visit HHA Sports. Um, they're up there close to where we stayed. It's about a 40 minute drive. So the kids went to the water park, Nicole and the kids went to the water park one day and I decided to run up to HHA and get a tour of their place and check out their operation. So if you haven't shot an HHA, uh, site or rest, I would highly recommend you give them a look just by going into their factory and, um, where the, you know, the, the machining is done. It's just everything's just super organized. And I think that's the biggest thing when you when you talk about these companies is, you know, how well are they organized and how neat and clean and and everything is. I mean, you know, the machine shop, which is already typically a dirty place because, you know, there's metal shavings everywhere and these giant machines and you know, it's open, but it's still everything was really clean and organized there. And then you go into their assembly place and again once again just first class place first class people just a, a great tour so i got to see the history of of hha and you know got to tour their facility and i come out of there with an even better opinion of hha than i had before so yeah that was a good time and then after that we headed to deer fest and you know got to work that which was the kids love that there too because there's you know there's all kinds of manufacturers and uh other businesses that come in not necessarily just hunting related but you know they'll bring in I don't know beef jerky manufacturers cheese Wisconsin's obviously known for their cheese so a lot of uh companies there and the kids are running around taking samples and you know eating lunch through the sample line so it's good for me save me some money but uh, it's a good time, man. It's a it's a great deal if you guys are ever thinking about trying something new for vacation and you're a hunter. I would highly recommend bringing the kids up to Wisconsin Dells. Hit all the water parks. It's good. It, the weather's generally perfect, especially when you're coming from down south here in Missouri. You go up there and it's you know you're leaving 95 degree weather to go up there and you know generally it's capping out at about 80 even sometimes less 75 80 um there was one hot day abnormally hot day when we were up there and it got to 85 which coming from down here that's nothing but the kids love it hit the dells then go over to deer fest 
if you're a hunter and, and check that out. You can meet some TV personalities that will be there and, you know, get a shoot some bows. I think every major bow manufacturer was there displaying their bows for this year and they give you a chance to shoot them. Uh, raised hunting, which they also have raised outdoors. Um, those guys ran the 3D shoot and you can actually qualify for, I don't know, some sort of national tour. I didn't get a shoot cause I was too busy working, but, um, chance to win 10,000 bucks. So I think you, you quality, you enter into this and the high scores or X amount of high scores qualify for the national shoot. And there's your chance to win 10,000 bucks in Bass Pro or Cabela's credit. So you've got that. And then they have the, uh, so I got a shoot, they call it celebrity, the celebrity bow shoot, which I can't stand to call myself a celebrity. I'm certainly not. So I call it the TV personality. Um, there's a pop-up archery target and we get out there and, and shoot all the TV people shoot against, you know, just any, any guest that comes in there and shoot, you go shoot that 3d pop-up course and the highest score for the day gets to shoot against the TV people. So we got to do that. Um, shoot a couple rounds and, um, ends up a champion. I did not win. Uh, I can't remember who won each night, but it was a, uh, it's a fun, it's a fun deal. Um, a lot of fun, especially for the, the guests that get a shoot with the TV people who they see on TV and, you know, maybe, maybe have never met, but now they're shooting side by side. So, uh, it's a lot of fun for, for everybody. Um, but yeah, that was a great trip. Definitely. I always love going to deer fest. There's some other trade shows that either myself or some of my staff members will be working this summer for Browning trail cameras. So it's a busy summer there. I wish I could go to all of them, but I can't because my stupid real job gets in the way. So again, follow this podcast, hit me up on Instagram, follow the show, tell all our partners that I'm such a great guy. They need to pay me more money so I can quit my real job and work in the industry. Okay. Thank you. So this hunting season, I'm really looking forward to this hunting season. Um, here in about two weeks from today, I think I leave for Hooker Mountain Outfitters for opening week of archery elk and mule deer season. I drew a mule deer tag, so I am looking forward to that. There's a lot of great deer, a lot of great mule deer there at Hooker Mountain Outfitters. Usually takes two years to draw, and I did this year, so yes. Hopefully, I can kill a nice mule deer this year. Um, I'm going to combo hunt out there, elk hunt as well. Uh, so the plan is just to shoot any elk and just to bring home meat. I don't care if it's a cow, legal bull, whatever it is. I definitely want to kill an elk, bring home some meat, and then I will try to hunt for a really nice mule deer buck. That's the plan. That's the plan. So we've got a big group going out there. We've got 10 guys 10 or 12 guys going out with us. I can't remember exactly, but a handful of the break team members, Joe Henneman, Craig Heiser, Big Bob Gerhardt, Alex Schroeder, um, myself, five of us are going as break team members. I think that's it. And then we've got 
quite a few of my partners going as well. Um, Darren Johnson from Ultimate Flooring. He's a new partner this year on the local show. He's going along this year. He killed a cow last year, so uh, he's looking to get another one this year, uh, make it two for two out there. And then we got Derek Slocum from Alps Outdoors is going with us. And then we've got Mitch Banks from Banks Outdoors going with us this year again. So, or I say again, but going with us this year. His Both, both Derek Slocum from Alps and Mitch Banks from Banks Outdoors be their first year out there. So super excited to have them along with us. Um, what's really going to be cool is, so there's not many, most, a lot of people don't hunt elk out of blinds, but out of the Hooker Mountain Outfitters, it's one of the best ways to hunt elk out there and mule deer for that matter. It's hunting out of blinds and or tree stands. A lot of people don't think that's very common, but um, we're hunting them over water and alfalfa fields as they transition from higher elevations where they bed at night, the elk, they'll pass through Hooker Mountain Outfitters, hit the smaller alfalfa fields and water holes before they get down to the larger alfalfa fields in the river bottoms. So it's a very effective way to hunt them is out of blinds. Well, Tom Coster from Hooker Mountain Outfitters bought a couple of Banks blinds, the Banks stump blinds to put out there to hunt out. I convinced him that you need to buy some Banks. They're the best blinds on the market. Definitely try some. They contain your scent. It's great. So anyways, he put a couple out there and he's getting, he's sending me all kinds of trail cam pictures of elk all around these blinds. So I can't wait to get out there and hopefully kill one out of a Banks blind. But what would be really cool is we can get Mitch up there and kill his first elk. I think it's his first elk or kill an elk out of one of his blinds. So that will be pretty cool. So yeah, that's coming up, uh, leaving here in about two weeks and we'll hunt for about a week out there. I think seven days we hunt and we'll be back early September. Um, yeah, hopefully I'll be coming back with coolers full of elk meat and mule deer meat. Looking forward to it. And then right when I get back there, um, talk to a buddy in Kentucky and hopefully I'm going to be over there for opening week of archery season, whitetail archery, whitetail season and possibly get a chance at a velvet buck. So I'm excited about that. Um, Just got to work out the dates when I get back. But I'm hoping for things to stack up just right where I can fill my elk tag, kill a good mule deer, and then jump over to Kentucky and possibly kill a good buck before I even, before Missouri season even opens up. Because it's going to be tough for me to, hunt a ton this year with my stupid real job so please follow me on instagram follow me on facebook follow this podcast be sure to share it follow the tv show thank you very much but yes so that's what i've got going on there and then we'll kick off missouri of course i'm going to hunt missouri it's just i don't know how it's all going to shape up but i'll hunt a fair amount not as much as i would like to but uh, I'll get to hunt some. And then we'll be in Illinois again. I'll be able to hunt over there quite a bit. Our lease is only 45 minutes roughly from my house. So I'll, uh, 
a hunt over there as well. So it's going to shape up to be a pretty busy season trying to work it into my work schedule for deer hunting. And then I guess if everything, if I had to, if everything goes perfect for me, I'll kill an elk in Colorado, kill a good mule deer, jump over to Kentucky, kill a good buck. And then if I could kill a buck in Missouri and Illinois, hopefully before duck season starts, like mid-November, because I'm going to do a lot of duck hunting this year. I'm excited about it. I'm going to head over with... So I used to do a lot of duck hunting back in high school, early college, but I don't know. I found the bug for bow hunting whitetails and, you know, that's all I've done really since, since high school. So for 25 years, I'm aging myself, but for 25 years, I've been away from waterfowl hunting for the most part. I might've went once or twice in those years, just tagging along with somebody, but I'm getting it. I'm getting back into it. Um, this year, I'm just going to hunt a lot with, uh, SEMO outfitters. Shane Garner is, uh, a buddy of mine his, and buddy of James fought who James is editing the episodes for us this year of the break. But, uh, we're going to go out there and hunt a lot and try to film at least a couple episodes of duck hunting. Uh, Shane, his boy, and my boy used to play little league together. So, uh, we've known each other for quite a while and he invited me out there to, to hunt with him. So I'm going to have to go help him get duck blinds ready and various things like that to, to pay for my, my hunt out there. So, uh, just holler at me there, Shane, and, uh, I'm willing to help whenever I can. So looking forward to that. Yeah, I'm getting serious into duck hunting again this year. I just ordered a new A5 Wicked Wing from Browning. So, uh, that thing is beautiful. I can't wait to break it in. Hopefully I'll break it in on some doves here early September before duck season, but, uh, looking to run some shells through it. And then I also bought a dog, just bought a little lab puppy that, uh, I'm excited about getting out and working. I got a, so she's like 10, 11 weeks old right now. Uh, she's actually sleeping right here in the studio with me. You got to watch her, man. These 10 week old labs, I forgot how much of a headache they can be watching, chewing on everything and, uh, just going crazy right now, but she's worn out taking a nap. So that's helping me, uh, get this podcast in real quick, but, uh, yeah, just bought her. I'm going to send her off to get trained, um, when she's about five to six months. So here in just, a couple, three months, I'll have her off and getting trained. So it'll fall just about right. When I'm bow hunting really, really hard, she'll be, uh, at the trainer. So we don't have to babysit her, but, uh, yeah, can't wait ready for, uh, next few years in duck season. Hopefully I'll find a lease. I want to find a combo lease somewhere in Missouri, uh, Southeast Missouri that has duck hunting and whitetail hunting. Um, so I can just manage everything on one property, but that's the goal here soon for next year, at least. Hopefully she'll be, uh, my dog Maggie will be uh, fully trained and ready to go for next duck season. So, uh, looking forward to it, looking forward to it. Um, what else? I guess that's about it. So yeah, well, I'm going to do Shane's also SEMO Outfitters has some property in Arkansas as well. So, my duck season, my waterfowl season, 
I should say waterfowl season because it'll start with duck and end with geese, but it'll run through from hopefully late November all the way through mid-January for ducks and, and Canadians and then uh, possibly run into March or so for snows. So, uh, yeah, we're going to have a, a good long season this year and then next year just roll right into turkey season. So, yeah. We're going to be busy here starting in the next two weeks, almost nonstop hunting until next spring turkey season. So, yeah, solid six months. Looking forward to that. Um, I guess that's about it. Right now I'm just pre prepping for bow season this fall. So I'm planting food plots right, right now, actually. Um, now's the time to plant uh, here in southeast Missouri – Now's the time to plant your turnips and radishes. Um, you need to get those out right away. It's we've had a horrible drought down here in southeast Missouri and pretty and most of Missouri for that matter. Um, I know Brandon Jennings from from Drury Outdoors. He's up in northwest Missouri and he was showing the drought tables up there and they're in extreme drought. We're in a up in northwest Missouri, extreme drought. Down here in southeast Missouri, I think we're just moderate or whatever it is. So I can't imagine how dry it is up there. But we've gotten some rain down here in southeast Missouri over the last few days. So I just need that to to dry out just a little bit. And I'll get in there and till up uh, one of my food plots that the clover just died in from this, from this drought. I'll till that up and throw some radishes in there. And, of course... I always plant oats every single fall. Deer just kill the oats. So I'll plant oats this fall. Um, but here in southeast Missouri, you don't plant those till September 15th. So that's kind of the window. I start planting my radishes and turnips right now. This is, uh, what is the date? It's August 9th right now. So anytime between now and the next week, I'm planting turnips and radishes. And then... About September 1st, I'll plant some mixes. So, you know, this the various mixes that you can buy at the store, whether it's Whitetail Institute or Biologic or whatever it is. Um, some of those mixes do really well. The one that I use the most is, I think it's a Whitetail Institute secret spot. That tends to do pretty, pretty well for me. So I'll plant that around September 1st, get that in the ground, and then... September 15th, which is the opening day of Missouri archery season, I plant my oats right around there. So I just kind of look out for a rain. I don't have a set date, but the first rain, either right before September 15th or I wait until there's a rain in the forecast after September 15th, and I plant my oats right before that. Um, you can broadcast them or drill them, whatever's easier. I usually drill them just because I have access to a drill. But uh, we'll broadcast them over on our lease in Illinois. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, either way you can do it. So that's what that's what I'm planting this year. A lot of people are wanting to plant, you know, ask me about planting clover. I've never had luck planting clover in the fall. Uh, the best time to plant clover here in southeast Missouri, and I would assume all over the Midwest, excuse me, would be to plant them in the spring, early spring. So I'll just frost seed them 
frosty clover in February or so, um, you know, right after, you know, a hard frost like that and it's going to warm up above freezing, I'll just broadcast them out. And a lot of times I'll broadcast them out in my oats and then I let the oats mature and then I just mow them down in the spring and then clover's right there under it. Or just, you know, you can even work up your field if, if you want to. Um, after a, you know, I guess if you're going to plant clover and you're going to work up your field, probably want to wait till March or so to do that. Um, I think you'll have the best luck then. So what else? Chicory. Chicory is something that people have asked me about chicory. I like chicory. Um, I usually plant it at the same time as I do clover, but I have planted chicory in the fall too, and it's done fairly well. But yeah, typically... I always wait until I always wait until spring or late winter to do that in February March. Um, now, one thing I'm really doing right now, so I've admittedly I haven't run that many trail cameras this fall. Typically, I start running trail cameras in April. I start getting more and more out. I run I run a couple trail cameras year round over alfalfa fields or food sources or whatever it may be. But this year, I've been really slow in getting them out there. I only had one trail camera out all year, um, mainly because I had a lease that I wasn't going to keep this year, and I pulled them all off there and, you know, just haven't gotten them out to new leases or Illinois or wherever else. But normally I will run, I start running, yeah, a couple throughout the year. And then in about April, I'll put a few more out get them out over you know more food plots or browse areas or uh especially over mineral stations and things like that um and then as we get into this time of year i just start getting them out more i mean get them out over the beans when they start coming up in may and june and you know july start getting them out over beans and then put more out this time of year over mock scrapes so that's what i'm really doing right now I'm putting out my first, I put out my first mock scrape uh, just a couple days ago and put a camera over it. Now, a lot of people think that's too early to put out a mock scrape. Um, a lot of people don't, they wait until, you know, they wait until September 15th, even October, November before they'll put out a mock scrape. But bucks will definitely hit them this time of year. I had a lot, a lot of luck of bucks hitting them. Still in velvet, doesn't matter. They're still in velvet. They're starting to feel fall coming on. The antlers reach, you know, they're 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 mature basically. The antlers reach their potential. They're not going to not grown anymore, um, and they're starting to shed their velvet. So that they start hitting mock scrapes right now. I've had a lot of luck with it. So I've got cameras out over that. Uh, the cameras I use for mock scrapes and just the cameras in general. So with Browning Trail cameras, you've got two types of flashes with their cameras you got infrared which you'll see the red glow you know it doesn't make the the white flash like like you know your your iphone or whatever it is your regular camera it's not that big flash but it's just a red glow as it snaps the picture so deer can see that if they're looking at it they will see it and some deer react differently than others some will sit there and just look at it some of them, you know, it doesn't bother them. They don't pay attention to it at all. 
again, some of them will look at it and they're curious. They'll walk up to it, and that's where you get those pictures of, you know, their face right in the camera. And then others, it spooks them. They'll see that red flash one time, and boom, the next picture, they're gone. So anytime that I'm on a spot where a deer is up close and personal, like a mock scrape or like a trail that the deer are walking into it and the camera's facing them, I'll use an invisible flash camera from Browning Trail Cameras. So your your options with the invisible flash would be a dark ops or a spec ops. Again, invisible flash, they do not see it. They won't see it. Um, use those when it's up close and personal. Mock scrape, deer walking directly into the camera along a trail or whatever it is. I'll use my infrareds on food plots, food sources, bigger fields, um, or in general, just where deer aren't likely to be looking directly into the camera, which is typically those places where their head's down feeding or maybe a, a trail where, you know, I've got the camera perpendicular to the trail where I'm catching cross traffic. That will work as well. Infrareds will give you a lot better nighttime image because it's brighter. Um, so yeah, you'll get a lot better nighttime image. Uh, anything with distance with an invisible flash, it's going to be a little bit grainy. Again, unless it's up close and personal, then you'll get a, a better image when it, when it's a close shot. So there's your uh, Browning Trail Cameras tip of the day on what cameras I use and where. So again, infrareds, your strike force, um, your recon force, and your command ops cameras. So command ops is your entry level camera, solid camera. Um, you know, but fairly basic as trail camera goes. The reality is that's Browning Trail Camera's basic camera. The command ops, for most of their competitors, most of Browning Trail Camera's competitors, it's going to follow as a mid-range camera. So super high quality entry level camera in the command ops from Browning Trail Cameras. Then you'll step it up to the Strike Force. Um, that's an infrared camera. It's been Browning's bestseller, and there's several different models of the Strike Force series. So, you know, just the Strike Force, the basic Strike Force, which is several generations in, which would be the Strike Force Extreme. Um, you got the Strike Force Pro, which gives you a, a viewing screen, a one and a half inch viewing screen in there, and it's a super subcompact camera, real small, but uh, high quality images. I think it's 18 megapixel on that one. Um, hundred and I think it's a hundred or 120 foot flash range on it. Super good camera. And then you got the Pro XD, the Strike Force Pro XD, which is the dual camera or the dual lens technology. So you got a dedicated lens for nighttime images and a dedicated for daytime images. So brings you the highest quality both day and nighttime. Um, and again, I think that one's 24 megapixel images with that super fast trigger speed, 0.15 seconds, uh, versus the 0.3 seconds in the Strike Force Pro, versus 0.4 seconds in the Strike Force Pro or the Strike Force Extreme or Advantage, I think Strike Force Advantage. Pardon me if I'm messing up some some of the model names here, but uh, really good camera. And then you step it up into the recon force in the infrared category which the recon force 
a lot more um, a lot more let's see here features more feature rich camera in the recon force that's the highest end camera model of Browning trail camera series I should say because there's several different models within the recon force series which you got the recon force advantage a lot of flexibility and um, adjustability in that camera and then let's see here then you step up and then on the highest end you got the recon force 4k so 4k video on the recon force 4k and 32 megapixel images again infrared camera 120 foot flash range I believe that's right I should pull up their website to read all this but I'm doing other things as well but check those out browningtrailcameras.com you can see all the infrared cameras and then on the invisible flash side you got two different series of cameras the dark ops which is just like the strike force same looking camera same size same everything they're kind of like cousins brother sister whatever you want to call them it's just that the dark ops is invisible flash of course your flash range is a little bit less because it's invisible invisible flash um, but everything else is basically the same on that there's several different models within that series of the dark ops uh, from the dark ops extreme and then you got the dark ops pro and the dark ops pro xd again that pro xd is the dual lens technology been a huge seller this year everybody's that's been the biggest buzz of any trail camera really within browning well maybe that 4k that 4k has gotten a lot of buzz too I can't wait to to get mine out I haven't yet I'm gonna put it out in Illinois um, just whenever I can get over there and then on the invisible flash side you got the spec ops as well which it is cousins brother sister a pair to the recon force again the spec ops is invisible flash there isn't a spec ops 4k only the 4k model is in the recon force so you've got the command ops pro entry-level camera but a super solid camera really really good camera it would fall mid-range with most trail camera companies even on the higher end honestly of some of the other competitors but that's your entry-level camera the command ops pro is an infrared then you step it up to the strike force and the dark ops series again strike force will be your infrared dark ops will be your invisible flash black flash whatever you want to call it that's that those those two models and then next step up is into your recon force spec ops recon force is your infrared camera spec ops is your invisible flash camera so you can research all those at browningtrailcameras.com but what I can tell you is they're super solid cameras you're definitely not going to be disappointed with Browning trail cameras even in the very small case that you may have a problem with the camera you know there it's electronics occasionally the, some things will go wrong doesn't matter Browning trail cameras has the best customer service in the industry so just call that 800 number inside the door and they will definitely take care of you but I can tell you, I run, again, I run 25, 26 of them, I think I have now, whatever it is, and I haven't had a single problem with any of them. So, you know, if you take care of them, you won't have a problem. 
But uh, yes, circling back around, get out there and put out some mock scrapes. That's how you're going to draw the bucks in. I've had, I've had, so Gimp. So Gimp's a buck that I killed in 2014. So I'll give you a little story on him. So it was in, on this buck. It was actually the biggest buck I've ever killed on my home farm, my dad's farm, my parents' farm, mom and dad's farm, where I live. The biggest buck that I've killed there. So in 2011, I took Nicole out. Nicole's my wife to get her first deer. So the goal was just to shoot a doe. Um, it was during Missouri gun season. We sat in a ladder stand. Actually, call it Kenny stand. My uncle Kenny, um, back when he used to deer hunt, he put a stand up on my parents' place, and it's a great spot, really good spot. Uh, so, anyways, it's kind of on halfway up a hill and on one side of the hill and then it runs down to a creek bottom and then it goes up on the other side of the hill so nicole and i are setting up in this in this ladder stand in kenny stand and we look across the creek coming down the hill i see a buck coming like a basket rack eight pointer and i can see he's limping and I, that's the first year that i started uh, videoing my hunts it was in 2011 we think here 12 no it's 2012 13 14 no it was 2011 so anyways video on my hunt and see this little basket rack buck coming down and i can see that he's limping and i zoom in and when i zoomed in with the camera i could see that his foot was turned in like he was walking on the first joint so i told nicole i was like oh, it's, you know we weren't going to shoot him, but I said, oh, his foot's broken. Let's shoot this buck. So he comes walking down, and Nicole's gets the gun up and trying to get aim on him. Well, he saw her moving. He was perfectly eye level with us as he was coming down that hill, and he saw her get the gun up, probably saw me trying to help Nicole get set up on the shooting rail, and he blew and took off. And he took off running like, you know, like he wasn't even hurt. But it was a noticeable limp, and obviously he was walking on that first joint on his front leg. So he runs off. No big deal. We ended up, kept hunting. I think a day or two later, she killed her first deer, just killed a doe. But uh, nevertheless, she killed. Anyways, that deer disappears. I didn't think anything of it. I just assumed, well, he'll die, you know, from his foot. May not make it, but... Anyways, uh, didn't seem, actually I did seem, looking back at old footage, um, that year, later that year, I, I videoed him, you know, chasing a doe, actually, chasing a doe and fighting another little bitty buck. So uh, he hung around all that year. The next year, which would be 2012, I didn't see him, didn't see him at all. I looked through all my footage and... Yeah, I definitely didn't see him, and I couldn't find him in any of the footage. So, don't know where he was. He was probably around the farm, just didn't see him. So, I had to get a drink of water there. 2013 rolls around. And all summer, I'm running trail cameras everywhere. All summer, I've got pictures of bucks, and I got one good buck. Alright, so generally... 
Well, I get a picture of a good buck. Okay, so I get a picture of where was it at? Close to my house, and then I get a picture of a buck, a good buck, back deeper in the farm. And I just assumed it was the same buck. It, you know, based on the pictures, it wasn't the angles of each picture. I couldn't tell that it was a different buck actually, um, until I saw. Well, I got video of a buck below my house. It was foggy that day, and it was kind of hot and foggy. Just got done raining. Saw a buck down in the bean field, and I ran downstairs, grabbed my camera, and brought it outside. And it kind of looked, you know, hey, you bring something cold from inside and go out into the hot, and it'll steam up, fog up. So anyways, my camera fogged up, and it was already kind of foggy as well outside. And I'm zooming in on this buck, and it was a big nine-point. Um, so I named this buck Foggy. And I just assumed that this was the buck. There was one buck. And I assumed that, you know, this, I was getting pictures of this one buck the entire time. Again, couldn't really tell from the angle of the, the pictures it was taking. Well, in October, I got a picture of a buck back deeper in the farm, right along the interstate. I call it the interstate plot. There's a, there's a little bitty food plot that I have deep into the woods that borders the interstate. It's probably 70, 80 yards off the interstate, seven, roughly 70 yards off the interstate. So I got a picture of this buck and I could clearly see on the angle there that it wasn't the same buck. So I started calling it the other buck. So I've got foggy and the other buck on the place there. And it was, this was October 17th. I think I got that picture. Well, that was the last picture I've got that I got of this other buck, uh, foggy was a little bit more mature buck. He ran him off. Well, I ended up killing foggy in 2013, ended up killing him during deer season. Um, that was a cool hunt. Long story short, my wife was out of town on a business trip. Her parents were in town to watch the kids as I worked and went hunting. And it was 10 o'clock behind the house opening day of gun season, I decided that, all right, it's 10 o'clock. Normally I hunt all day during gun season or, you know, for the most part, anytime during the rut, I'll just hunt all day. But I decided, you know what, I'm going to get down at 10. I'm going to run home. I had some pork shoulders in the fridge. I'm going to, or was it pork steaks? Whatever it was, pork steaks. I'm going to go home, turn on the smoker, throw the pork steaks on, and I'm going to run right back out here. Probably I'll be gone maybe an hour two hours at the most. I'll be back in the tree by noon. So I climbed down at 10, just packed up my camera. I took about five or six steps from my tree stand and I see a doko running by. And then I see a little buck chasing her. And then I hear another buck coming. And the first buck was a little old six point or whatever it was, a little basket rack, year and a half old. Then I see another eight pointer chasing it, probably a two year old buck, whatever it was, a nice little basket rack, eight pointer. And then behind them, I see Foggy, and he literally runs and stops 50 yards broadside to me. I've got my gun in my hand, and I'm just looking at him. I could have killed him right there, but I said, nope, I'm not killing him unless it's on camera. I've been working on this buck all year long. I've had too many close encounters with him during the season, during bow season, that I'm not killing him unless it's on camera. Well, he never saw me. And he just took up off the, up the hill after that doe and those other two little bucks. 
Well, none of the deer saw me because they're in the middle of chase, and I was literally 50 yards from them, standing there almost in the open, just standing next to a tree, and they all come flying by me. Well, they run into a thicket, just really brushy thicket and kind of a ditch, and I couldn't tell if they ran over the hill or they just stayed in that thicket. So I'm sitting here debating myself. I, I lay down on the ground and I was kind of in a little depression, so they couldn't see me if they were right up there. Well, I lay down, and I get out my camera gear, and I set it up on this tiny little bitty tree. It's literally probably five inches, five inches in diameter, roughly. And the tree bracket just doesn't work really on that thing. It was just wobbling everywhere, and I tightened it up as hard as I could, and it would just kind of fall over, but I balanced it enough, and... I don't know, put a stick behind it or something, and I got it there. So I'm just, I do a little interview, and it's like, ah, I'm just sick. You know, if I'd have just stayed in the tree five more minutes, I would have killed it. You know, in the tree stand, it had been perfect footage. I just assumed my chance is over, and I debated with myself whether I should stay put, and maybe they'll, you know, they'll just continue chasing that doe, and they'll chase by me again, or I thought they ran over the ridge, and if they did that, my other thought was grab my stuff and run up to the interstate plot because I figured they're going to circle around and come up that way. So I didn't know. It was a 50-50, and I just decided, you know what, I'm just going to sit here and wait. Well, it's a good thing I did because they were actually in that thicket, and I couldn't see them. I finally saw one of the little bucks trying to get into the thicket, and then Foggy would kind of run out of the thicket to you know, get him, chase him out of there. And then when every time he would do that, the Joe would jump just a little bit. And I finally saw her. He, she got kind of bumped into a little bit of an opening. And I was like, there's my chance. And I positioned the camera just into that opening. And, you know, I couldn't see the deer in that little LCD screen. But I knew I could see a, there was a log laying down. And I knew that uh, they were right behind that. So I just got the log in the video screen, in the LCD screen, and got the gun up, and I just waited for Foggy to come into that opening. So this turned into a longer story than I anticipated, but I ended up killing him. Uh, opening day, he was a great buck, uh, mid-140s, nine-point. He was probably, he was an old buck. He was probably seven, six, seven years old. He might have been on the downhill so slide of his antlers. But, uh, yeah, he was old, just gray and big-bodied, big neck, big shoulders, good deer, super proud of him. Well, I kept hunting because I knew that other buck was out there. So gun season was over. In fact, in fact, I almost forgot about this. Gun season, last couple days of gun season, I took one of my boys out, Drew, and he had basketball practice that like right at dark later they even saw so I, I told him i was like well let's just go out here and we'll hunt till as late as we can and we'll come in i mean we'll be coming in before it's dark we'll be coming in basically at prime time but let's get out there it's the rut you never know anything could happen so we ended up getting out there and sure enough when we were walking in we walked in through the pasture and here's this other buck and another small buck chasing a doe just out in the middle of the cattle pasture, pretty close to the barns, actually, probably a hundred yards from the, from the 
from the barns, the hay barns and the hay lot. So they come running through there and we were about, I'd say 200 yards. He stopped broadside in the, in the field, but I don't know, Drew at the time was, how old was he? 10 years old, nine or 10 years old. And I wasn't about to, you know, have him throw lead at a, at a really good buck 200 yards away. You know, he just wasn't steady enough. And he, he, he knew that too. He knew we needed to get him within, you know, really 70, 80 yards of the buck before he was going to shoot. So, and it wasn't there long. Anyways, it chased the deer, the does away. They ran down into the woods. Um, then later in December, I was bow hunting is in the snow actually. And there was another doe in heat. This other buck was guarding this doe. And there was a couple more smaller bucks trying to get to her. And he would chase them away. They were setting up. They were about, I don't know, 100, 120 yards from me where I was set up. I was hunting on the interstate plot. And they were in, in the woods. So this other buck was chasing these, just bumping these little, bumping this doe or guarding this doe basically and, and chasing these other smaller bucks away. Well, the doe walked over the ridge and walked down into the woods and they got within probably 60 yards of me at one point And I did everything I could to try to call this, really call the doe in to get in range to kill him. But he was just on her tail and she kept getting bumped by those little bucks and she just ran down into the woods and, you know, this other buck followed him right along. So I go back to the house. Didn't think anything of it. Go back to the house and I review the footage. I wanted to get a good look, zoom in on this buck and get a good look at his rack. Well, and he's probably, and based on the trail cam pictures I was getting, he would pushing, he's pushing 150 as an eight pointer. I, my guess was, Mid one forties, upper one forties as an eight point as an eight pointer, and again possibly pushing one fifty. Just a heavy buck, nice frame, tall, really really nice. So go back and look at the footage, and I zoom in. You know I can I notice he's limping. I was like, huh, I wonder what's going on with him. Then when he took a step in the snow, I could see his foot. It was turned in. He was walking on the first joint. That's, it's that same buck that Nicole and I saw that I wanted her to kill because I didn't think he would make it. Well, here it is. Two years later, he's now at least a three-and-a-half-year-old and got a rack that, you know, his. a lot of times you hear about injuries that will affect a deer's rack. Well, it certainly didn't affect him. He was just a perfect eight-point heavy. Again, just super good. So then I started calling him Gimp. All right, so his name's Gimp. So didn't see him at all that year, the rest of the 2013 season. So 2014 rolls around, and I, you know, season's over, and I start dumping corn and dumping mineral and dumping supplemental feeding, and I stick all my cameras around everywhere I'm doing that because I want to make sure that. If this buck's still around, I need him to live another year because I want to kill him. He's going to be a great buck. I need him to live another year, get him healthy. So he just starts hitting the supplemental, uh, my, my food. He starts hitting the supplemental feeding that I put out 
from February and March, um, he shed his antlers. It might have been late January. I can't remember now, but he shed his antlers early for our parts. You know, a lot of times we'll see bucks still carrying in mid-March, almost April. Sometimes even turkey hunting we've seen bucks still carrying. But he shed his antlers early, but I could tell, obviously, it was him because of his gimp foot. But he he was hitting the, the corn piles and everything until the brows started coming, and then he was gone. Just MIA. Never saw him again. He didn't hit any of my mineral stations all all spring, all summer. Just didn't hit anything. Any of the, the Banks feeders I had out, he didn't hit any of those. It was August 17th. And I, I had, okay, so at our farm there, there's really only about 30-something acres to hunt. The majority of it's pasture on my dad's my parents farm so i had probably within 200 yards i had eight different cameras if gimp crossed this ridge there was no doubt that i was going to get a picture of him one way or another it took him until and that's where i was doing my supplemental feeding so when he left that he went from what i can tell he went to my neighbor's property to the north where he's got a really big thicket over there he's got a little pond over there inside that thicket and then surrounding this thicket was beans and corn. So Gimp never left since he since the brow started growing in that thicket, I would assume. He went into that, never even come out of it, at least never crossed on out of there and crossed the ridge until August, I think it was seventeenth. I got a picture of him walking through over this ridge and walking through one of the food plots I had. So that's when I always, so that was one clue for me that bucks start getting a little bit more mobile about this time of year, about August when their antlers are almost fully developed or are fully developed, even though they're still in velvet, they're starting to spread their range again. So, you know, when it's, the complete off season and they're just recovering from last year's rut. Again, this is my opinion. I'm not a whitetail biologist by any stretch, but I think their home range and their core area is really, really small. Like this buck probably never come out of that thicket until night, until night. And he would feed at night in the beans or whatever it is. And probably just browsed in that thicket, walked down and got a drink of water and laid back down. He probably lived in a, in a four acre area all spring, all summer, until August when they start feeling their oats and then that's when they start to spread out and, you know, check out, increase their home range. That's the first picture I got of him. And then he vanished again. So I don't know if he totally left the area or if he went and hung out on the other side of the farm. I don't know what he did, but he just vanished. I never saw him again. I put out mock scrapes starting in about August or September. Well, about August, after I got that picture, I started putting out mock scrapes. Well, he actually didn't show up until November 3rd. He finally hit one of the mock scrapes. But, again, that's the first time I got him. So mock scrapes do work, and they do work early like this. So the Foggy, you remember me talking about him just a second ago, he actually started hitting mock scrapes in like late August and constantly hit them until 
well, until I killed him basically in November. He always hit him, but he really hit him hard from September, early September through mid October. He was almost daily, it seemed like, on the scrapes. It was all at night, but uh, those mock scrapes kept him in the area and he just kept hammering them. But Gimp, he hit the mock scrape. That's what got him. So I'm a huge believer in mock scrapes and running them now is a is a great strategy because you're gonna you're gonna get those bucks moving well even last year even last year at the house i didn't have a good buck to hunt but the one decent buck that was there i never saw him at all he was like gimp never saw him one time until he hit the mock scrape and he hit it like august 20th still had velvet just a nice frame he's only i think he's a He's a two and a half or three and a half year old buck, but a nice frame rack. He was maybe, you know, 120, probably, possibly, possibly a Pope and Young, you know, mid 120s, but I wasn't going to shoot him. He's got too much potential uh, for this year. So hopefully he's still around, and this mock scrape that I just put out will pull him in. I'll put it in the exact same spot as the one he hit last year. Um, so with any luck. I'll have him on camera, but yeah, I kind of went a long way telling you a bunch of stories, but mock scrapes definitely work and now's the time to get them out. Uh, had to get another drink of water here. So that's what I'm up to these days, preparing for season, running trail cameras, definitely get your trail cameras out right now. Now's the number one time to get them because... You need to take inventory of what you're going to be hunting and you're going to get pictures of bucks that you may not have seen all early summer because again they're starting to move a little bit more to increase their increase their home territory uh, their home range and find new range possibly because they may be starting to break up from their bachelor groups you know the most mature bucks gonna he's gonna run them out of the home turf here pretty soon and uh, they'll have to go look for a new spot so you may be getting you may start to get new new bucks on camera if those bachelor groups are starting to break up they're not really breaking up yet where i'm at um you know i still saw i saw seven bucks together just uh just a couple days ago actually so yeah they're still hanging out and i didn't see them at my place unfortunately that's the one good thing about working on the railroad so when we we go from here in southeast Missouri up to St. Louis, which is mid Missouri, south mid or mid east Missouri, if you want to call it that, if you're not real familiar, but uh, we run right along the Mississippi River all the way up to St. Louis, and you see a ton of wildlife, and that's where I saw this bachelor group of about seven seven bucks is right along the railroad. And you see some giants, absolute giants. One of the guys just sent me a picture of a buck that one of the other doesn't work on the railroad. We got to shut our phones off and can't take pictures or can't do anything with our phones while we're on the running the train. But some of the maintenance guys, you've seen those trucks that ride ride on the rails, call them high railers. Anyways, one of those guys stopped and was able to snap a picture of an absolute stud probably 
Well, the picture they took last year got him in velvet probably about this time of year. He had probably a nine inch drop time on one side and, you know, just looking at him, he's probably one nineties last year. Well, he's around this year as well. One of the guys said that he saw him driving down there and it's, it just looks, said just looks abnormal, the size of this buck and, you know, just his rack, you know, definitely, they said definitely well over 200, 230s possibly, which I don't doubt based on what he had last year. And if he put on more trash and apparently he added a, another drop time, so he's double drop time, one on each side. So uh, that's the only cool thing about my current job is uh, all the wildlife you get to see as you're rolling along. But anyways, the point was, a lot of a lot of them are, a lot of the bucks are still in their bachelor groups and they haven't broke away yet, but they will soon. So be sure to get your trail cameras out there because you never know what bucks about to roll into your area, and you want to know what you're going to be hunting here soon. So I think that I think I covered most of the comments. I can't I should have wrote them down, but that pretty much covers it. Um, now I'm going to have some guests here very soon on the next. Well, I shouldn't say the next podcast, but because um, I may do another one of these solo ones if something happens with me and hunting season and whatever else. But I do have some guests lined up. It's just a matter of coordinating and, and getting them in here. Uh, Keith Allen. Uh, so a lot of you waterfowlers may know who Keith Allen is. He was involved with uh, banded gear uh, somehow or another. I actually don't know all the, the story to that, but... That's why I want to get him in here and talk about it. But he is a waterfowl hunter extraordinaire. He's well known within the waterfowl community. Um, he's make he makes and has made calls in the past. I think he just makes a limited amount these days. And I don't know what's he make hundred 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 fifty two hundred two hundred calls a year, and they sell out in about four minutes. So uh, we're going to get him in here. He's a good buddy. Another guy from uh, Southeast Missouri. Southeast Missouri, I tell you what, we're kind of fortunate. We've got a lot of uh, well-rounded hunters and, and well-known people here, from call makers to uh, videographers, uh, production companies, to little old me, what I'm doing. So it, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Um, and then we're also going to have the Missouri Department of Conservation. We're going to have Andrew Mothershead in here. We talked about a month ago about getting him in, in, him in here to, to talk to us about, you know, just what's going on with the NBC. Um, I've just been so busy that I haven't been able to <laughs> nail him down. So, Andrew, I hope you're uh, still able to do a podcast with me here coming up. But we'll get him in here. Uh, I really want to talk about CWD and, and what the MDC is doing about that. Um, it's kind of a controversial topic, so I, but I don't know how much time we'll spend on that. I'd love to spend an hour on it, but we may not be able to. Um, but yeah, we'll talk about other things that the MDC has going, got going on, like uh, elk season. I mean, we may have an elk hunt here before too long. The numbers are doing well. Um, they're down there at Peck Ranch, which is southern Missouri, um, kind of southwest, not southwest, but kind of well, it's it's pretty close to here, within a couple hours of where I'm at, kind of south-central Missouri. Um, but, yeah, they've reintroduced elk. 
I don't know how many years ago, five, six years ago, maybe. And the numbers are doing great. They're doing great. And, you know, we could possibly see an elk season coming up here within the next couple few years. It'll be a limited elk hunt, but nevertheless, we'll be hunting elk here in Missouri. So that's pretty exciting. That's pretty exciting. We'll talk about that. Um, and then, I don't know, I want to talk about a lot of things. Well, there's bears moving into Missouri. Who knows, we may have a bear hunt before too awfully long but uh yeah we'll have him in here and then uh i'd like to get shane garner in here from semo outfitters just talk about duck hunting uh try to get him in here and we'll do some uh phone interviews as well coming up uh tom rainey from browning trail cameras is he knows everybody within the industry so he's going to try to get me some uh some good phoning guests it'll uh always helps when you know somebody in the industry and they can call them for you because if I call them, they're like, who are you? But yeah, everybody knows Tom Rainey. And we'll get those. We'll get we'll get some good phone interviews here. Phone-in guests here coming up as well. Um, let me think here. I think that just about does it. we got some things planned uh, for this winter as well with regard to the podcast. Um, got a lot of trade shows coming up. And we're working on something to possibly talk to you from various trade shows like the ata that's not set in stone yet but uh we're gonna try to get that figured out and that'll be uh i'll have a co-partner in that so uh be a co-show i'll tell you more about that as we get it worked out but i guess that's it y'all i will let you go let you get back to the day i appreciate you listening be sure to hit me up well, follow this podcast, subscribe to this podcast, so then you just get the automatic uploads onto your phone. Um, yeah, comes in easy. iTunes or Google Play or follow us here on podbean.com. You can download that app and you can listen to my podcast and many of the other great podcasts on online. My dog's starting to wake up. She's probably going to start chewing on cords or something, so I better get going. So that's about it. Oh, also hit me up, Instagram, follow me on Facebook, uh, Twitter. I don't do much on Twitter, but you never know when I might. The hat or the uh, handle is at Hunt the Break. All right, that'll do it, y'all. See you next time. This is Derek Dernberger, and you're listening to The Break Podcast.